We continue our conversation about transitions because we've been in one and this is in fact the last conversation that we're going to have in this collection. What I didn't anticipate is that I, and I've said this several weeks, but we began this as a thought of a collective transition as we've been going through as a church. But also I, I didn't anticipate that I've heard from so many people that you are going through a transition of your own, some minor transitions, some very significant transitions, some transitions that, are, that will maybe be the biggest transition of your life. And so I, I, it's been thrilling to see how God has used this on a personal level. Today, we, we finish off on a high note because transitions can often cause tension. They can cause relational tension, whether it's in a family, whether it's in a, a job, a business, your neighborhood, church, whatever that, that group of people that you gather with in your own circles. When you're going through a change, that can really cause some, some tension. We've seen it over and over in the story. We've been tracking in a very specific place in the Bible. We've been tracking the Israelites, the nation of Israel. They, that was God's focus. They were God's focus in the Old Testament. And we're seeing that they, they really didn't score high when it came to uh, going through the transitions. And they, they really, there were moments of, of anger, moments of frustration, moments that they didn't handle uh, all that well. In fact, they failed a lot at it. So we learn from them. We learn from our own mistakes. We learn from others' mistakes. And there's a particular chapter. It's in a book called Numbers, in Numbers chapter 21. In fact, if you have your Bible or if you've got a, a mobile app or a, you know, a device, you want to bring that out. We're going to exclusively be in Numbers chapter 21 today. This is a chapter that begins like so many of the intersections they had. They're angry. They're ticked off. They're, they don't like this. Wish we were at the back of the other place. And, you know, God is moving them from A to B, and they can't get their heads out of A because, they, you know, God's still leading them to the place B, and they're upset about how things have gone. And we look at that and think, man, been there a million times, these kinds of changes. But then something happens, and I'll forewarn you in this chapter that there's, there's some peculiar things that happen. And if you're new to the Bible, they will seem very peculiar to you. There are always deeper reasons for the peculiar moments in the, in the Scripture. I'll remind us once again that when you're reading the Old Testament, it's so often like a picture book. The New Testament clarifies a lot of the pictures that we find in the Old Testament. We're going to see that today. One of the most significant pictures in the Old Testament because of its eternal and its profound meaning for us. But as we go through this chapter, once they get past the arguing and then God does something miraculous, it is one of the few chapters that we see no arguing. We see no fussing. We see only a solidarity because that solidarity then comes from being on common area, filling an equality with, with each other. I'll say it this way. Um, the minute that we have a disagreement with somebody and there's tension in any kind of relationship, could be a collective body like a church or a school or business or whatnot, but it could be, it could be politics, good grief, it, and, and, but it could be a personal level. The minute that we have tension is typically I'm on this level and you're on this level. I'm here, you're here. That's where tension comes. I think my opinion is higher than yours. I think my position is higher than yours. And so what God does is say, hey, let's, 
make sure and remind ourselves of some commonality that we have, and then it takes that hierarchy thing out of tension. So let me, let, let, let's look at it. Numbers chapter 21. You'll see how this lines out. In Numbers chapter 21, beginning in four, uh, verse 4, the Israelites, they traveled from Mount Or along the route to the Red Sea to go around Edom. But the people grew impatient on the way. Wow, breaking news. Big, big surprise. There they are again. And they spoke against God and against Moses once again. It's almost like if God were giving little commentaries, you know, in parentheses along the way in the Bible, he would say, again, question mark, exclamation mark, exclamation mark, question mark, again. And here they are again. And they said to Moses, why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the desert? There's no bread, there's no food, and we detest this miserable food. It's like a broken record. They say it over and over and over and over. And I'm just thinking, let's say you're in charge of three million people. You're going to spend four decades out in the desert. How are you going to feed them? Oscar Mayer? Uh, are you going to have a little mini fridge, a little igloo going on? I mean, how do you even, let's say you have a lunch. Even if we have a lunch with 30 people, good grief. It's hard to, you know, get it all together with napkins, forks, utensils, you know, Subway sandwiches, blah, blah, blah. But let's just say it were 100,000 people. Have you ever thrown a lunch for 100,000 people? I never have, quite frankly. But let's say it was you know, 200,000 or a quarter of a million, half a million. Let's say it was 3 million people, including children, because you've got to have snacks. You've got to have all that. And just if you had one lunch for three million people, just one time, just think how hard that would be. Well, God had to do it for 40 years. And now he's feeding them with his endless food from heaven, and yet it's not good enough. Isn't that the way it is? Then something happens. This is the peculiar part. For those of you that are exploring God, this may mess with your head a little bit. Okay, This might, this might get to you. But let me try my best in a very abbreviated time to explain what you might be seeing, okay? So now they're fussing, they're, they're angry, they're, they're, they're all upset. They're upset at God, they're upset at Moses, they're probably upset with each other. In verse 6, the Lord sent venomous, poisonous snakes among them. They bit the people, and many Israelites died. Okay, you guys have a great week. That'd be awesome. Let that inspire you. Ah, so, so, okay, that's the peculiar part. And you think to yourself, okay, I thought that God was loving. I thought that he was, uh, I, th I thought that he was kind and compassionate, all those things. And so you do have to explain this. So it's, I, I, this is not part of where I want to go today, but I just can't skim over it for the, fact, for the very fact that I understand that people are probably, some, people, some of you may be kind of freaked out a little bit that God would send poisonous snakes. So in a nutshell, let me tell you, clarify this, and then we'll get on to what we're getting on to. There are moments that God has to do something severe, because if he doesn't do something severe, what comes out of it or what comes after that would be more severe. When God sent them into, when sent the Israelites into a nation and, and they, they were all slaughtered, we think, man, what was up with that? I'm asked that question all the time. Hey, how could God have done that? 
Had he not done that, the consequences of what would have happened would have been global, would have been worldwide, and what would have happened as a result of him not doing anything severe would have been worse had he not done something severe. I'll also remind you that it's a, it, this is a picture. God thinks eternally. He just doesn't think momentarily. He thinks eternally. So what, look what happens. This is significant. After the people were dying from these snake bites in verse 7, the people came to Moses and they said, we have sinned. It took a lot. It took a wake-up call for them to understand that they that they they had got they had started a film in their own head that God was off track and Moses was off track and God had to say, "Wake up. Wake up." And all of a sudden, they stepped off their high horse cuz Moses was down there in their minds. They were uh, their minds were elevated. Their reasoning, their logic, their argument was elevated and all of a sudden they stepped down and they said, we've sinned. I'm going to call it common ground. There are going to be four common things, if you're taking notes, four common things that allow us to move through a transition and not fuss against God and fuss against each other and fuss against leadership. They recognize in that moment that every single one of them were the same. They were all broken, fractured, Sinners, just like you and me. And when that happens, all of a sudden, we're on common ground. I'm not above you. You're not above me. Watch what happens. They said, we've sinned when we spoke against the Lord and against you. Pray that the Lord will take the snakes away from us. So Moses prayed for the people, and the Lord said, make a snake, craft a snake like an artisan craftsman, and put it on a pole. Anyone who is bitten can look at this and live. So Moses made a bronze snake. He crafted this bronze snake, kind of a bronze statue, put it on a pole, held it up, and when anyone was bitten by a snake and looked at the snake, he lived. I told you it was going to be peculiar. What God was doing was he was sending an eternal message, not just a momentary. For that little point in history, he was sending an eternal message. And that message was this, that since Adam, every single human being has been bitten by the poison of sin. And the only way that we can, do, uh, the only way that we can be rescued is if we put our gaze, our fix, our faith, our trust in Christ. Watch what happens. John chapter 3, verse 14, Jesus referred back to this momentary uh, uh, intersection. Jesus says, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up so that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. A picture was being painted in that desert that day that every single one of us are on common ground as sinners in need of forgiveness of God. He used this picture of this bronze snake to say, I'm going to create for you a way that you can get out of your, the commonness of your sin. Here's what it means. The next time that you have an argument, let's say you're a married couple, and your spouse is here, and you're here. They're here, you're here. Or maybe you're here, and they're here. Just depends on, you know, the argument, right? The next time you have an argument with Bob 
at the workplace, and you're here and Bob's here, I invite you to do something. Before you open your mouth, have a silent prayer. God, I'm so grateful that you've forgiven me as a sinner. And I'm praying for Bob because he's just like me. He's a sinner. He's not perfect. And I wonder what might happen before you open your mouth as you find yourself on common ground. Common ground. It equalizes tension. Even if you're going through a great change, it equalizes tension. Try it. You remember when the woman was caught in adultery and Jesus came up and they were getting ready to stone her? They were going to take rocks and literally beat her to death? And Jesus said, hey, which one of you on your high horse, you're here, the, the, the woman is here, you're here, the woman is here. Before you throw that rock, you might want to do a self-assessment. And each of them, one by one, dropped those rocks and they came down and they, they understood they were on common ground with that woman that day. It's shocking. In my chair, it's shocking how long people hold on to their rocks. That could be a t-shirt, by the way, but maybe a little strange. Those rocks of unforgiveness. When Jesus said, man, if you just realize that when I look at you, I look at you just like I look at you and like I look at you, that we're all broken. We're all in need of being on equal ground. There was no argument in that moment. Do you see anybody fighting when you look at those, that scripture? Nobody is fighting because they said, we have sinned. Not she has sinned. He has sinned. Boy, they really sinned. We have sinned. Then watch what happens. Not only is there common ground in front of the cross, there's a common devotion when we bow and worship together. Watch this. Numbers 21, verse 16. From there, they continued on to beer. Now, let me explain that just before we go on. That's a location. Because some of you are like, well, no wonder they weren't arguing with each other. <laughs> that was the well where the Lord said to Moses, gather the people together and I will give them water. Then watch what happens. These people who were angry once, they started singing a song together. They sang this song, Sprink Up, O Well, Sing About It about the well that the princes dug, that the nobles of the people sank, and the nobles with the scepters and the staff. In other words, let me ask you this question. Have you ever had an argument during a worship service? That didn't mean you came in with some angst. But during this time where we all bow before God, then we understand that we've got a common devotion together. Some people will say, hey, you know what? I don't need church. I can do my praise and worship, get my praise and worship on at the beach. Nothing wrong with that, by the way. But it is never a substitute for coming together and worshiping together because it's not only about the Lord, but it's about us and the Lord, not me and the Lord, us and the Lord. And when we bow down, we're bowing down together. We came to be 
together today. We came to hear the word of God together to make him our devotion. James talks about it. He talks about the power of our tongue in James chapter 3, verse 9. He says, with the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we also curse men who have been made in God's likeness. We're all on common ground. Out of the same mouth comes praise and cursing. My brothers, this should not be. Lord, you're great. I hate that guy. Love you so much, God. He's a jerk. You know, James is like, that doesn't work. And when we come together, we're worshiping God, who's our common devotion, but we're also bowing together. I say again, there's no arguing why they recognize they were sinners on common ground, and there's no arguing when they're worshiping with common devotion. Then watch what happens. In, in Romans chapter 15, verse 5, may the God who gives us endurance and encouragement Give us a spirit of, um, of unity among yourselves as you follow Christ Jesus so that with one heart and one mouth you may glorify the God of your Father, God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Then something significant happens. On the journey, now they're not fighting with themselves anymore, but there comes an army that's going to fight against them. In verse 23, this king, Sihon, would not let Israel pass through his territory. He mustered his entire army and marched out into the desert against Israel. When he reached Jehaz, he fought with Israel. May I say to you that we have common ground in front of the cross. We have a common devotion when we, wor when we worship God. But we are all, as Christ followers, in a spiritual warfare, and we have a common enemy, and it's not us. You know, autoimmune uh, disease is when your body is fighting against itself inside. That means that something is going on, and there's some cells that are fighting against the bad cells or fighting against the good cells. And there's nothing but death and, and uh, harm and unhealthiness that happens when something is fighting within the body rather than fighting with outside the body. From the beginning of time, human beings are in a spiritual warfare the minute you start following God. And when you, and when you realize this and you say th that we're not the enemies against each other, my neighbor's not the enemy, my spouse is not the enemy, but it is something outside of us that is the enemy. And isn't it amazing when you put things together and you say, hey, we shouldn't fight against ourselves. We've got a common enemy. Let me tell you about my marriage. On a scale from 1 to 10, 10 being like super amazing, and on, on, one would be, uh-oh, we're in big trouble. I rank our marriage, my, with, my marriage with Carrie, at about a 9.9. .9. Hey, nobody's perfect. <laughs> now, if it were just me, it'd be a 10. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> we have truly an amazing marriage. We are... All right. I know you're clapping for her putting up with me for 24 years. Next month, we celebrate 24 years of marriage. And, we're, and people ask us, young people have asked us, young couples have asked us. We've had living room meetings with, are very intense with young, young couples. And they'll always say, how do you do it? What's the secret? 
And the secret is that we're not void of arguments. We're not void of conflict, but we remind ourselves that we're in kingdom work and we keep our hands busy with kingdom work and that we're not enemies with each other and we remind ourselves that we're together fighting a common enemy. See? Now remember that, would you? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> just by. <laughs> just went down to a 7.2. <laughs> So I've had this peculiar thought in my mind, um, and I know it's going to be really strange. It's not about my marriage, so my I'm like, good, it's not going to be. A... So I, you know, when you look at the global politics around the world, and you look at the tension that different countries have, that China has with Hong Kong right now, we have with Iran or South Korea and North Korea. I mean, it's just it's all over. It's countries in the in the Middle East and. It just must be tiring to God, first of all. But I, I've, I've wondered this weird thought. This is not, you know, a promotion of UFOs. But let's just say, for example, they're UFOs, okay? And there's some alien force that's going to come to the planet, and, it's gonna, and this alien force is going to fight the whole planet. And I've wondered in my mind, in, you know, the wacky hours of the night, that I'm like, if that were to happen, if, it's a big if, I'm not promoting it, if, if it's going to happen, would the countries drop their junk and drop their tensions and say, we got a common enemy now. Wouldn't that be cool? So after the first service, uh, uh, Daniel was playing the drums. He goes, I'm reading a book right now. And it says, no, they probably wouldn't. And I'm like, ah, shoot. <laughs> We're told about the, the spiritual warfare in Ephesians chapter 6. It's kind of the warfare chapter of, of the New Testament. I'm taken by the second word. I've often say, I often say that it's the common words in the Bible that we skip over, but they're so important. I want to put it on the screen early if I can. Ephesians chapter 6. I want you to take note of the second word for our struggle. Whose struggle? Our struggle. We're comrades. We've got a common enemy, and it's not each other. For our struggle is not with physical things, with people, with flesh and blood, but it's against the supernatural, the, the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil and heavenly realms. If we would just lower ourselves in front of the cross and say, man, we got common ground as sinners. If we could just come and pray and bow together and recognize that we have a common devotion, if we can understand that we have a common enemy and it's not us, that we could band together, then perhaps we could then lower the tension because I'll remind you in a historical timeline when there was a lot of bickering going on, you won't find it in this chapter because they have found commonality. And finally, they had a common cause. Watch this. In verse 24 of Numbers 21, Israel, however put him to the sword. This king took over his land from Arnon to the Jabbok, but only as far as the Ammonites because their border was fortified. In other words, they had a common assignment. We have to get a work done. There's a, there's a task at hand. And when there's a task at hand, it doesn't matter if you're wearing green and I'm wearing yellow and you're wearing red. It's a task at hand. For many years, I, I had a ministry to soldiers in the army uh, 
at Fort Knox, believe it or not, lived in that part of the country. And I, our ministry came in on the, after the eighth week of basic training. So they had been there, they'd gotten the same haircut, they'd gotten the same pair of glasses, they'd gotten the same clothing, they'd gotten the same shoes, the same boots, the same equipment. When you come into basic training, there's a lot of sameness going on, a lot of commonality going on. Because they understand that when you're taking the hill, there is no individuality. There's a task. There's an assignment. I met some super sharp people and some not so super sharp people. I met some people that came from a wealthy background, people that came from a poor background. I met some guys that were super strong and some guys that were getting strong. And it was such a mix. I've never in my life seen such a mix of difference and, and, and but there was a sameness, there was a commonality that they understood that they were training for an assignment. You see, God has given us the assignment. We know that. The world around us so desperately needs a redemptive story that tells them clearly that there is a God that loves you, that tells them clearly that you are imperfect and God is perfect and no matter, no amount of good behavior is going to get you favor with that perfect God. That no amount of religion is going to mend the fence between you and God. But only Christ who came, who gave his life. That it seems like religion to some people, but it's a reality for those who have experienced it. It's a reality for those of us that lowered ourselves and realized that we were bitten by the poison of sin. And we came helpless with our hands open to God and said, God, I'm a sinner just like anybody else. And God has saved us. He's rescued us. He's changed us from our sin and from ourselves. And now we're on assignment. We are on call. We're on call to bring to the world the message that Christ loves them so deeply that he gave his life for them that they too could live and be with God. And who cares what we would ever disagree about with that assignment in the front of our face? Would you agree? It helps the tensions lower when we're all wearing the same uniform, the same boots, the same equipment, and taking the same hill, man. Do you remember King David? His best friend's name was Jonathan. Jonathan was going to war that day, and he was going to scale a very intense, steep cliff. Militaristically, it was a stupid move. You always want to get above your enemy, not below them. And he was going to come under his enemy and scale this thing, and they could have picked him off. He said, I'm going to leave this up to God, what's going to happen, but he didn't go alone. He had an armor bearer, Jonathan did. And he turned to that armor bearer and said, this is our assignment. It's going to be tough. Are you with me? Can you imagine two men dangling from ropes scaling a cliff on the assignment of their life, fighting with each other. Wouldn't that be stupid? It's almost like a cartoon. Be stupid. Jonathan turns to his armor bearer and says, hey, are you with me? His answer is 1 Samuel 14, 7. 
He looked in Jonathan's eyes. He says, do all that you have in mind. Go ahead, because I'm with you, heart and soul. Maybe, maybe the tension is in your marriage. Maybe it's in your neighborhood. Maybe it's in your work. Maybe it's in the church. Could we agree that we all live right here, sinners, together, broken? Some days I'm wronger than you. Some days you're wronger than me. But we're all on common ground. Can we agree that when we come together and we turn our full common devotion to God, that we're all the same? Could we agree that we fight an enemy and it's not us? We have a common enemy. And could we agree that we have a common assignment that should keep our minds so focused that any tension seems so ridiculous. We got a cliff to scale. And God is with us all the way. How tremendous it is for us to remind ourselves. You know, this is a prescription this morning. Take two of these and call me in the morning. <laughs> I've been on some medicine, and the instructions on the medicine say this, don't skip one. Don't skip, uh, you know, uh, taking, taking a pill. Don't skip one. I'm like, I don't know what happens whether you skip one. I almost want to try it. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I need this pill every day. I need to be reminded every day that we're common, that we're on equal ground. Don't skip it. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father, for the perspective that only the Bible can give. Thank you, Father, for reminding us that we're on common ground before the cross. We have common devotion. We have a common enemy. We have a common cause. Emotions at times tell us otherwise. It puts us a step higher than someone else. But today, God, we're reminded that this prescription from the, from the Bible is something as human beings that we need daily, not just once in a while, God. So as we, we enter worship now, as you being our common devotion, singing as common sinners, fighting a battle with a common enemy and given an assignment of a common cause, God. We come before you and allow these things to penetrate and to, to ruminate in our minds and hearts. We need, we need you. We need each other. So, Father, we ask, God, that you uh, just uh, cause our hearts to worship and cause our hearts to lower if we feel that we're on a higher step or plane than anybody else. So God, would you hear the worship of your people? We love you, God, and need you so desperately. In the name of Jesus, amen.